Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Appreciate songs that draw us to eternity, that knowing that this is not our home and we long to be with Christ. Sometimes we want it sooner than His will, but we wait patiently all the more, sharing Christ and throwing seed. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and open the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Somebody asked me if we're still in Mark, chapter 1. I said, yes. It's very interesting just kind of setting these things up, and and of course, we're only going to do just a handful of verses here this morning, but uh, so much to, to be engaged in, be taught, and, and so I want to read our scripture with the title of today's message, The Pace and Power of the Lord's Ministry. Starting in verse 29, the Word of God reads this, it says, immediately after they came out of the synagogue... They came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a, with a fever. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. And she waited on them. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you again for drawing our hearts to your word. We know it is the only thing that, that draws us with right understanding about who you are and what you're doing. I pray this morning that you will use your word and use the spirit to teach us, to help us to, to gain a, a more majestic view of the King of kings and Lord of lords. What seems like a, a, a simple narrative comes with great truth. And so, Lord, may you unfold that as your servant desires to exalt Jesus Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark for some time. You, you know that he's starting to, to unveil his public ministry. Mark is, is giving us point after point of situation after situation, and he's driving us to an understanding of what Christ is all about. To some degree, I think you're here this morning, you know something about Christ. But it is in these words where we see the compassion and the power of Christ in the midst of his ministry. You remember last week that Jesus entered the city of Capernaum. And verse 21 told us that he immediately went to the synagogue as was his practice on the Sabbath day where he would begin to teach. Now, we noted that Mark never told us anything that that Jesus taught them that day, but the response of the people was pretty 
dynamic. We marveled last week at the amazing authority that Jesus Christ had as he taught them and left the people who heard him speak in total amazement. We noted that Jesus had total authority over the religious system of the day. We noted that people started to grasp that. Scripture tells us that he he taught as one having authority. He taught as one having supremacy. He taught as one who is the author of the words that we read, and as well as creation itself. He wasn't like the scribes, or for that matter, any other teacher. And after leaving the people awestruck, Jesus follows up this divine authority by, by demonstrating it, com- by commanding the unclean spirit or demon to come out of a man. This is the authority that Jesus always had and still has. In his public ministry, where all of this was to eventually head to a crucifixion, a death and a resurrection, Jesus came with the purpose and passion to demonstrate that he is the Messiah, that he is Lord and that he is Savior. And so when Jesus shows up to begin his public ministry and this redemptive pursuit for all mankind, he showed up with divine authority as we expect him to do. And often he demonstrated that divine authority in the miracles that he performed so that everybody would know that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me just say it this way, beloved. There was no one greater than Jesus. Not you, not the government, not a church, not a pope. Only Jesus stands alone as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is and will always be sovereign over everything. And as the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians 1.17, when he says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is supreme. This authority of Christ is something that Jesus, like I said, always had. And what he says and what he did pointed to that supreme authority. And when Jesus comes into Simon's house, which Jesus later changed to Peter, he comes to Peter's house, And when he enters the house to heal his mother-in-law, this miracle reveals the supreme authority that Jesus had over every aspect of life, even disease. Every miracle performed by Jesus was designed to show the sovereignty, his sovereignty, over some aspect of life. And beloved, God wants us to get this. I think this is so important for our own Christian souls to know that you have been bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ, and he reigns supreme if he is your Lord and Savior. There's no wavering in that. And I think that's often where things get muddled, where things go haywire. It's because we think that we should and can do a better job than Jesus. Listen, you can't do a better job than Jesus. So let him reign in your soul. Let him be rightly seated in your, in your house. Is that a word, seated? It, it is today. We'll take it. <laughs> but he sits on the throne of your heart, and he rules there. Keep him there. Allow him to, to direct your, your paths. 
Allow him to dictate where you go and what you do. I think of the Gospels often, and, and, and as we're in a Gospel, we, we see this interacting of Jesus continually to do. John tells us that there are books in the world can't hold all the miracles that Jesus performed. But here he is going about. Remember, he's only 30 years old. And he begins and only will have a three-year ministry. And he's on this pace to do everything that God has called him to do. And I think about his interactions in life. I think about when Jesus cast out the demon in the previous verses that we saw last week. It was to show us that Jesus is sovereign over Satan and his minions. When Jesus walked on water... And, and calm the sea. It was to show us his sovereignty over his creation and over the elements that it contains. When Jesus healed on the Sabbath day, it was to show his sovereignty over the Sabbath and the religious system of the day. When Jesus healed the noblemans from, from a distance by speaking it to be, he was showing us his sovereignty that he can be omnipresent and do his work wherever he goes. When Jesus turned water into wine, it was to show his sovereignty over the internal elements. That miracle blows me away. You think about that. It's a simple water. He changed the components of water into wine. The power that Christ had. When Jesus raised the dead, it was to show that he alone is sovereign over sin and over death. There's nothing outside his sovereign control. Jesus is Lord. And that's what we call when we tell him that, when we proclaim that, when we believe that, we rightly put him in the position that he rightly should be. He is the one who has this type of authority, and the one who has that type of authority is surely God. I think of the Old Testament that would prophesy about this Messiah that would come. And it it noted often what he would do. It's exactly what he's doing here in our chapter, in Mark chapter 1. But listen, and you can look to the screen. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. It speaks about the sovereignty. It says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Deuteronomy 4.39, know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Isaiah 40 verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out out of the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He's sovereign. I don't know about you, but when it comes to salvation and, and receiving this grace and receiving this mercy, what an utter peace it is to know that that Savior that saved me is totally sovereign over everything. What a peace and what a hope. And then we come to the Gospel of Mark where Mark was inspired by God to continue to capture this life of Christ. And the Lord's public ministry was put on display for all to see, for all to be in awe. 
For to know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is God's Messiah, and there is none like him, nor will anybody ever become like him, he alone stands in authority and majestic power. Like I said, this was prophesied. We expect God to be sovereign. But even the Messiah, sovereignty was as part of his description because he's God. God, through his prophets, clearly told this. that The Jews, they, they would have noted this. Remember, there's about 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so they, yet they are studying the Old Testament, desiring to see when the Messiah will come, what will he do, so that we can recognize that is God's guy. I think of two clear passages that, that really sums this up for us when we start to see the ministry of Jesus. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, where the Messiah is described, and it reads there, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Reckoning back to his baptism, right? And the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. It goes on to say there, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. In one hand, he had the mighty hand to, to, to comfort and, and, and to heal and show compassion. In the other hand, he was coming to bring judgment against sin and nations who were disobedient. Jesus came and proclaimed the good news. He set captives free. He brought comfort and victory over sin. Staying in the same book, another prophecy foretells the Messiah earlier in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8 and 9, where it says, He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So no wonder when we go to the gospel of Mark, he opens up in, in verse one and he states there, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here is the good news of the Messiah. And here he comes, and the ministry is going to be marked with those elements and those prophecies that we've already seen. I don't know about you, but this is the ultimate gift that mankind needs, right? We as sinners need a Savior. And we just don't need any type of Savior. We need a Savior who is able to assure the victory in our salvation. The one who can conquer sin and conquer death the one who can rightly resurrect and ascend to the right hand of God the Father. That's the Savior that we need. And of course, Jesus fulfills that. Jesus fulfills every messianic prophecy to the T. And as Mark begins to show us Jesus' public ministry, we will see the pace and the power of the Lord's ministry. It's broken down just pretty simple. Yes, just a handful of verses, but yet very simply, I think you'll walk away, and I trust that you will be in awe all the more of Christ. Well, let's look at this pace of the Lord's ministry. In verse 29, 
It reads there, and immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simple contextual statement, right? They're in Capernaum. They're on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a Saturday. They just got done with the worship service. Jesus was teaching. And Mark says Jesus immediately leaves the synagogue, which usually would last until noon, and he heads to Peter's house. This was common after a Sunday morning service. Maybe many of you do the same, that you gather with somebody after and have lunch, and you discuss the day's events or the week's events or whatever God is doing in your life. And so this was common. Service is over, they would go to each other's house and have a meal. But there's a divine reason why Jesus is heading to Peter's house. Jesus was always purposeful in the will and the call of God. He came with a purpose and ran to that purpose in order to save sinners and glorify God in the midst of it all. And one word captures this. This is the emphasis of the pace that Jesus has. And you'll notice it's the very first verse in verse 29. It's that word immediately. And immediately. This one word is used once in verse 29 in our passage, once in verse 30 in our passage. You'll notice that it's used 11 times in this chapter alone. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And over 40 times in Mark's gospel, you hear that adverb immediately. So here he is. He was truly a, a God-man on, on a mission. He has purpose. He has direction. He has what he was called to do. And when Jesus would do it, he did it immediately. This word is pretty interesting in the Greek. <clears throat> it means to do something without delay, right? I think we expect that. It's, it means without hesitation, but it also means not just getting up and moving your feet. It means to go to do something for a purpose. Jesus was intent on everything that he did. The word brings a sense of urgency. The time is of essence. And throughout this gospel, we will continue to get this sense of immediate urgency in the ministry of Christ. And as a pastor, I couldn't get past this. I, I think about this word often in the midst of studying this gospel because it's ever before our faces. And I have to pull over the bus here. I can't help but, but drive home some application. And way of application, is this the pulse of your heart? When it comes to the Lord's bidding, are we immediately engaged in it with a sense of purpose and a sense of reason and a sense of direction? Whatever the Lord puts in front of you to do, do you respond with such an urgency and with a sense of purpose? When a, a need is met, you overhear it within your conversation, do you respond in such a way with a sense of immediacy? Do you step forward and serve Christ when a need is made known? Or are you hoping somebody else steps up? Are you hoping somebody else fulfills that? Think about it when it comes to evangelism. Do you immediately 
with a burn of, of compulsion in your heart, do you share Christ immediately to the lost and the hurting of this world? Do we withhold the gospel that can change somebody's life because we don't think that this is kind of kosher today? Listen, the gospel is always appropriate, no matter what culture or what the world says. And the world needs to hear about Jesus. We must live with a sense of immediacy in our lives. We must understand that we, we hold the gospel truth in our souls. And we should be very purposeful to share that gospel with people that, that, that come across our souls. Again, do you live with a sense of immediacy in your life? Mindful of youth camp this summer, often the theme that each man of God came and, and spoke to the kids was today's the day. Today's the day. That's biblical, by the way. Often the scripture tells us today is the day of salvation. It's not about tomorrow when you decide to get to it. Why? Because tomorrow never comes. Today is the day. And will always be because we are people who live in the present. Today is the day of salvation. We get this from Proverbs 27.1 where it says, Do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what the day may bring forth. And James 4.14 reminds us where it says, yet you do not know that what your life will be like tomorrow. And just like a vapor that appears a little while and then vanishes away. If you had a cup of coffee this morning, you saw your life in a vapor as you poured that hot coffee into a cup and there maybe a, a steam arose. That is your life encapsulated in light of all the things that God has called us to do. We're a vapor and then we're gone. Listen, tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is the Lord's day. What do I mean by that? The enemy wants you to always put things off. The enemy wants you to be a procrastinator. The enemy wants you to say, well, we need a few more hours, a few more days, a few more months with these people before we share Christ. The enemy wants you to wait till tomorrow to share the gospel, knowing that life is short and possibly they won't be here to hear that word. I'm not putting any trust in you or me. I'm not putting the trust in, in the way that we share the gospel. I'm putting the trust in the Savior who can redeem and save lives. And that's our call. We are called to share Christ and throw seed. We are people who live in the presence. We live in the here and now. And today is the day where Jesus Christ needs to be proclaimed and not silent or hidden. It needs to be heard. And what God calls us to do today, let us be obedient to that. Listen, you know I'm, I'm a hospital chaplain. You know that this month has been exhausting. We're up to 30 calls this month by myself in a matter of eight days. This text reminds me that in the middle of the night, when the phone rings, there's an immediacy about my presence. Because death is either knocked on somebody's life, 
or is going to knock on somebody's life. I don't point that to, to have you be, be uh, have sympathy for your pastor. What I'm trying to help you grasp is that the immediacy of, of life or people need to hear the gospel. Now, that scenario sets everything up for me to speak into people's lives because death is at the doorstep. Do we have an immediacy like our Lord to run to the hurting, to show compassion, to share Christ and proclaim Christ and, and what we say and by what we do. That is the pace that impresses upon my soul as we go through this text. This is the pace that is demonstrated by our Lord and Savior. And though he is Lord and though he is King and though he is God, he had some physical limitations. You think about that when you read the gospel. He was often tired. But Scripture reminds us that we will have eternal rest. But today, we're engaged. We're engaged with people's hearts. We're engaged in people's souls. We have one purpose, and that is to proclaim Jesus Christ. Do I think the Lord's coming soon? Absolutely. <clears throat> Not that I have insight into that. I want him to. But does he find us engaged in serving him? Knowing that we're tired, knowing that we're getting older, knowing that it, you know, knowing that life is going to be short, may I impress upon you that what you do each day have a sense of immediacy, point your children to Christ, love your husband and love your wife according to Christ, share Jesus with your neighbor. I think my prayer is this. May the Lord kick our souls into gear and be about the Lord's work. That was the pace of Jesus' ministry. It's demonstrated often, like as we go through this gospel, immediately, 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 you get this constant emphasis. But there's a second truth that shapes our thinking about the Lord's ministry, and it comes in the last two verses of our, our passage and that the power of his ministry was instant. I think this brings all the awe and the majestic nature of Christ to light. Look with your eyes at verse 30. It says, Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And immediately <clears throat> they spoke to Jesus about her, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. Again, this seems like a ho-hum narrative, doesn't it? I mean, okay, Jesus is doing his thing. Jesus always does his thing. I mean, this is so powerful. In this passage, in this miracle, you, you see the, the power of Christ of rebuking. Literally, in, in Luke's gospel, he, like he rebuked the demon out of the unclean man, this is what he's doing to this mother in law of Peter's. He's rebuking this fever out of this woman who is sick. Again, Jesus having ultimate authority over everything and anything. Like I said, this is what they normally did. Came out of church service, went to a house. They were ready to have lunch. And when they arrive, 
Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. What's also remarkable about this, we think, okay, we just had our little guy, yeah, he just had a fever this week, and so we were attending him with the necessary medications to help bring down. But you and I both know that a fever does what? It's there to fight infection. There's something going on within your body that it's attacking. And so whenever a fever is present, it is there to fight the infection. She is weak. She's lying down trying to get well. And then Jesus shows up. Her body's really working hard to fight this infection. You get the sense out of the Greek that this is an intense fever, a high fever. Of course, they didn't have thermometers back then. But here she's burning up. I think it's also important to know, and just in studying this, that it's also important for us to understand that there really wasn't a cure for fevers back then. It was a matter of just kind of just toughening it out. They don't have like modern medicine that, that we do. And depending on what you read, the first, the first cure of anything came in, in 1885. And so there's, there's a distance between how we fought these things. And often when people would catch some of these fevers and viruses and bacteria, it meant their death. People just languished in hope of getting better. She had a severe infection producing a high fever, which was of great concern to Peter and his wife and, of course, the mother-in-law. I think this is one of the reasons why I think Peter probably said, hey, let's go to our house. I know these four fishermen have seen some of the miracles of Jesus. I know that he's going to see more of that, but, but he had trust knowing that Jesus was going to show up and do his thing. And it says in verse 30, immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. So Jesus gets the lowdown. Again, there's that adverb immediately. Again, everything with Mark is immediate. No sooner had he come to the house than than they they made a request of him. In Luke's account, in Luke chapter 4, they asked Jesus to help her. And like our Lord often does, he responds with compassion. Verse 31 says, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. And she waited on them. Luke adds in Luke 4.39, he says, standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. So here she was, fevered, lying flat. Jesus stands over her calmly, and simply reaches down, and according to Luke, he spoke that fever, rebuked the fever, and he's lifting her up, raising her up. Mark says, by taking her hand. And the fever left her. So in this process of grabbing this lady, he rebuked the fever, and the fever left. Spoke it out of her. I don't know about you, but the ability just to speak things should echo your mind back to Genesis chapter 1, where God speaks all creation with the voice of his word. 
This is the creator God who's able to speak things into existence as well as out of existence. I mean, this is power. Fevers of, of the symptoms of fever is immediately gone. Just as Jesus rebuked the demon in verse 25, here Jesus rebukes this fever out of this woman. Jesus has total sovereign control over the spiritual world as well as total sovereign control over the physical world. He commands and there's instant compliance. Luke says she immediately arose. Mark's account here says, taking her by the hand, she raised him up and the fever left her. The text doesn't give you any indication how long she's been sick. But she was sick enough to, to be, and weak enough to be in a, in a lying down position. There wasn't a lot of things getting done around the house. She got up and she waited on them. Now, I'll be honest with you. I got a little frustrated with this because we have some yo-yo commentaries who believe that the reason why Jesus wanted and healed her was so that he could have lunch. You talk about a fire starter, right? I mean, those papers will do well for that. In other words, they were enforcing Jesus some, some kind of selfishness. That is not the case. The only reason I think that Mark records that for us is the fact that when the fever left, she had full capacity to get up and do about showing the power of the miracle. The affection was gone. The symptoms are gone instantly. Now, if just recently had a fever, and you think about fevers, if you had a fever at any length of time, you, you know that when the fever subsides, it takes a while for you to what? Get your strength back. It takes a while for you to not struggle with energy. And God shows us that she got up and had the energy to do what she was going to do and make them a meal. All the symptoms are gone. She was this, she'd never been ill. She was so well. And she served a meal. I mean, I marvel at this because Jesus leaves no doubt that she was healed by her actions. He saw the illness, spoke it out of her, and she was cured. It was gone in an instant. And often when we think about the miracles of Christ, he often shows his hand and he does it with power and immediately things are gone. Jesus always healed instantly. I mean, this is throughout the scriptures. I mean, you think about the examples of Christ and his miracles. I think about the Matthew chapter 8, verse 13, where the satyrian's servant was healed the very hour. Jesus demonstrating that he had the power to do that because the soldier had faith in him. As we get to Mark chapter 5, we'll see a woman with a bleeding problem 
and we'll see her healed immediately. Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, heals 10 leopards immediately. And you think about that. You think about what leprosy brings when we get a chance to eventually look at a text like that. I mean, it's just remarkable. He touched another leopard in Luke 5, and immediately the leprosy departed. It was always that way. He heals with a word or a touch. He doesn't use some kind of incantation. He doesn't use some kind of hocus pocus. He speaks and it happens. He healed them totally. And that is why Mark says she got up and waited on them. This has nothing to do with any type of selfishness on Jesus' part. This has nothing to do that Jesus was hungry and was served for his own purposes and that healed her to have her cook her a meal. This has no meaning about the woman's role within the kitchen. This all is about a passage displaying the power of Christ. Now, you think about those four fishermen seeing this. And, and you already looked at the whole aspect of why they, they left their nets to follow Christ. I mean, you talk about all the more encouragement to be able to do what God calls you to do. Here they're, they're, they're seeing the miracle and the power of Jesus Christ in healing. Divine power. What's interesting to me is that you got some charlatans out there that think that that could be reduplicated today. Does Jesus still heal? Absolutely. But only Jesus still heals. Jesus had it. He will extend it to his apostles for the sake of writing the New Testament canon to put his authenticating mark that this is my word. And then it's gone. The power of the Lord. And we're going to see this time and time again as we continue to, to dive through this gospel. The point is this. Jesus' pace of ministry was, was with urgency and it was with power. The simplicity of the text and pulling this out and looking at it in just three verses. And whenever Jesus displayed his power in a life, it was to first show his supreme authority over whatever he cured. All that to say, Jesus is sufficient, and, and you can see where Mark goes with this. Look at verse 32, as we'll, Lord willing, see next week. When evening came, after the sun had set, this is the same day, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. I mean, they were lining up the door because word had got out that Christ has the divine power to heal. Jesus, being sufficient to do this, compassionate enough to do this, desiring to, to show that there's great reason for us to put our trust in him, that he's sufficient and rightly has this divine authority over everything. What that leads us to is a simple application. 
is Jesus Lord of your life? Alluded to it a little bit earlier, but, but is Jesus not only your Savior, but is he your Lord? And you think about that. When he saved you, he transformed you. There was a miracle. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you're made alive in Christ. Jesus Christ. Touching a life, redeeming a, a sinful sinner, and transforming and making them alive in him. Have you received him? Is he Lord and Savior of your life? The greatest question that life will ever bring us is those questions. Jesus doesn't care about your sin. And what I mean by that, he doesn't care because he has the answer for it. I run into people sometimes where they say, there's no way Jesus is going to forgive me. And I thought to myself, listen, if Jesus can't save you because of your sin, then he is truly not the Messiah. There is no sin greater than his grace and greater than his mercy. That is what's on display here. He's showing his power, his authority, his divine nature in the midst of his ministry. And for you, if Jesus is not the answer of your soul, he needs to be. Why? Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, beloved. Oh, we might have plans for tomorrow, but tomorrow might not come. I'm so thankful for the men of God to preach such a truth to these individuals at youth camp. Why? Because there was a special little girl there who received Christ. And shortly, her life was ended. Today is the day of salvation. And then when it comes to you who do know Christ, the sense of urgency in the ministry, are you engaged in, in the Lord's kingdom? Are you engaged in his ministry? It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, are you using your divine spiritual gifts for the sake of the kingdom of God with urgency? With immediacy? With the desire to lift high the name of Christ? Oh, I get it. We're all tired. Been in the ministry for 21 years here. Uh, we're all tired. By the way, that will never end in this life. But are we all engaged in the pursuit of making the name of Jesus Christ be known? Are we desiring to, to be engaged? Some of us are slower, yes. But are we purposeful in doing things for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray that you would evaluate that within your homes, that the Lord would, would squeak out more energy in your life for the kingdom's sake. I remember in seminary, I had a professor who I would bring my, my assignments to and he would look at a, a tired guy. At that point, I was a baseball coach at the college. I, I, I worked on the field and cutting the grass. I, I had a family at home. And then you have seminary. 
He goes, Barry, you're tired. I said, yeah, absolutely, I'm tired. And he would look at me and says, oh, but there's more. There's more in you. And, and of course, I didn't like it at the time, but what he was telling me, there's a gear within inside of us that we continue to ramp up, and that we continue to pursue Christ all the more. May we live our days with a sense of urgency and kicking into high gear so as to serve the king. Amen? Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for the day and for the text. A simple passage, a narrative that, that shows us the pace and the power of Christ's public ministry. You well know that there are times where we will be tired. You give us earthly rest. You refresh our souls often. But Father, you often do that so that we can be engaged all the more for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of your name. May we be a people about your kingdom. May we throw Christ in front of sinners' ways. May we help them to see the importance of why Jesus Christ is sufficient for everything. Of course, your redemptive plan is for us to be holy, just as you are holy. And the imputed righteousness that Christ gives us, that's what he does. So, Father, help us as we continue to evaluate where we're at today, knowing that our life is short. And may we be engaged with a sense of urgency, immediacy, for your sake. We know the Spirit will lead us and guide us and direct us. Opportunities before us, though they are many, Father, may you lead us purposefully according to your will for our lives. And may we do it with such urgency and love and desire that it stalls the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we love you and we pray in the Son's name who has given us life, who has redeemed us from the dead, we pray in his holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.